Luna collapsed. Three Arrows Capital collapsed. Celsius went bankrupt. Voyager went bankrupt. BlockFi went bankrupt. FTX collapsed. Well, what happens anytime there's any sort of negative news in crypto for, I don't know, the last half a decade? People start to speculate that Tether must be going under. So, of course, every time we hear that rumor starting to bubble, we bring on Paolo Arduino, the CTO of both Bitfinex and Tether, to talk about what is going on there underneath the hood. Also, after I talk to Paolo, we've got the Friday week news in review. Uh, a lot of which probably will focus on the fact that SPF is getting the soft treatment from the mainstream media. And frankly, it seems the crypto media is not doing a much better job. We'll talk about all of that. I've got Palo momentarily. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and tap the like button. As I said, guys, there's a few things you can count on in this world. You can count on there being four seasons. You know, winter will come after fall and lead till spring. Uh, and you can count on the fact that people will FUD tether. No matter what happens in the crypto market, no matter how good or bad things are, it's a persistent theme and undercurrent in the crypto market. I'm going to go ahead and bring on Paolo right now. Paolo, how are you? Good to, good to hey. see you. Hey, Scott. Thank you for having me again. Of I'm course. So Paolo gave us four fair warning that he's, tra that he's uh, traveling with uh, somewhat spotty internet and extremely windy trees, as you can see there in the background. But we're glad uh, that you were able to make it out to do this. So listen, I mentioned this to you right before, and I want to show this because I just, we, we found it hilarious. We, we, um, Mike, Misha, uh, my producer, reached out to uh, Circle and asked if they would uh, do a panel with you guys. So he said, one more question. We eventually would like to have a debate between Circle and Tether. Let me know if Dante or Jeremy would be interested in a panel with Tether. It's Palo Arduino. Thanks, Misha. This was the response. Hello, Misha. We would not be interested in a panel with Tether, but appreciate the opportunity. Circle and Tether are not a direct comparison. It's like comparing apples to Play-Doh. A debate sets the stage that we are like enough that we stand on common ground somewhere and we don't share that view. Appreciate the offer and hope you understand the position. Uh, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, they are right. We are not alike. I mean, uh, Tether has, you know, um, almost um, 10 times, well, today, almost 15 times the trading volume per day. Then USDC, the usage is insanely higher. Uh, we are actually building products and services and we build something that actually is helpful for people in emerging markets and uh, developing countries. We are not the servants of Wall Street. So, yes, it's true. We are not. We are not the same. Yeah, but I bet that if you were asked to sit on a panel about stable coins with them, that you would happily do that. I mean, the real offer was that we do roundtables every Thursday. We have people who are in the industry discuss it just seems, I mean, listen, I, I laughed out loud literally every time I've read the apples to Plato just because it's a funny statement. I might start using it, but I think that that's a bit, uh, bit crazy. Oh, look, I would, I would uh, be happy to talk uh, in a panel with them. I mean, I would talk to Rocks. Um, uh, can I be the Play-Doh in that situation? Because I like Play-Dohs. You, know, um, <laughs> you, can, you can actually have fun. You can build things. You can, you know, it's it's useful, right? So apples are, you know, especially in these days, are um, those companies that tend to have monopolies and charge people thirty percent for monopoly on 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 uh, on devices. So you know, let me be the Play-Doh then. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, my kids love Play-Doh, but I hate cleaning up Play-Doh, to be honest. So I'm <laughs> not the biggest fan of Play-Doh as a parent. But let's talk about, though, the, obviously the new round of, of Tether FUD. I mean, is there anything else here? Or is this literally the same exact cycle where people dig for the same information, never really find anything? I, I mean, are you seeing a different situation or is this just more of the same? So let me give you my two cents on this whole story, right? So since 2017, all this uh, Tether is gonna die uh, thing has been always in the news, right? Every every downturn of the market, uh, you know, Tether has been always in the news. Um, we have been fingers pointed at us for basically our entire life, you know, um, company life. And uh, every time happened that another company failed. 
right? So we are seeing recently, right, this year especially, it has been extremely obvious, right? From May uh, afterwards, we have seen Terra Luna, of course, started this entire craziness. I think that uh, you invited me on the show but back then. Then we had uh, Celsius with, and well, first three arrows, then Celsius. Uh, then we had FTX, BlockFi. Um, now we have Genesis and BCG, right? So what these companies have in common? These companies have in common that we're considered the mighty heroes of our industry, right? So FTX was considered like uh, the messiah of the exchanges. Um, then we had um, Celsius and BlockFi, great lending companies. And then, of course, Genesis and DCG, you know, best lenders in the market with the best risk management, you know, super solid and stable. And everyone, held, every one of these companies had to quickly go and run and raise capital. Otherwise, they were going belly up and most of them actually went belly up. So I think that uh, in a way, Tether acts or is used by mainstream media, but also by other competitors as a way to deflect the real problems that they have in their own backyard. So every single time it happens like this, I mean, at some point, Tether fraud is becoming a meme. How many times we are hearing people crying wolf? I mean, you know, you are the wolf of all streets, so... You know, you they, they are crying wolf and expecting Tether to have problems when, you know, Tether since last year was June 2021, had 30 billion in commercial papers. Everyone's saying, you know, it's all ever grounded. Tether will die. And we proved that we were able to reduce those commercial papers, right? One after the other in the following months, we reduced $30 billion. We moved everything in uh, T-bills. Now, now, right now, 82.5% of Tether is cash and cash equivalent. That is what our community asked. Of course, we can do more. We can go to 100%. And that is our goal. But the reminder of that, um, you know, um, of the of our assets are extremely over collateralized assets, not by FTT or that crazy crazy stuff, right? We are not the companies that offered loans to Adamida or FTX, like many of the companies that are now desperately trying to raise capital or are in desperate um, uh, financial situation or went belly up. We were we never did those type of loans against like uh, you know pinky square collateral collateral right so that to us is like the basic of uh, of risk management and yet you have these companies that are you know even public companies like voyager right they or or are similar that did all this crazy lending imagine if tether did something like that tether yes was in the news tether did a loan back in time with Celsius, quite also a big loan, but was extremely high over collateralized. And when we had to, to liquidate that loan, we were able to liquidate that loan and give back even part of the money to Celsius. That is risk management. That is taking seriously the job of a stable coin, but in general, the job of a company that is not here to make an extra buck, is here to provide a service to an industry that 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 this company was really helping to create from the beginning, from the get-go. So yes, again, we are not the same with uh, with uh, Circle because we were there basically at the beginning of this industry. We helped to shape it, and we are the ones that are helping to make it more resilient and uh, resilient and stronger. If people have to keep pointing the finger at us over and over again for the next ten years, it's fine. It won't change our our strength, it will not change our solidity, our stability, and so on and so forth. We prove that to regulators. We have healthy discussions with everyone. Yeah, that, that, that all makes perfect sense. I would imagine that every time one of these platforms fails, though, and we've seen it in the past, and I've had you on, that you get an increase or spike in redemptions, right? Just because yes. people, people are trying to exit the crypto market, whether that's specific to FUD or not, people just move to cash and lose confidence progressively in crypto. Has there ever been an issue servicing those redemptions? Have you seen a larger spike in redemptions since FTX went down? 
so never had Tether never refused one single redemption. All the redemptions have been honored at one dollar. So we had two major moments in redemptions. As you know, again, you had me in um, after the 12th, 13th of May 2022 in uh, on your show uh, was the Terra uh, Luna <clears throat> crash. So Tether was able to redeem seven billion dollars in 48 hours, and um, uh, that was amounting to 10% of our reserves. No, no bank was was able to do that in the history, in the recent financial history. And over the following month, like until the mid June, we were able to service $20 billion in redemption was around 25% of our um, uh, market cap. We went from basically $84 billion to $64 billion in a matter of a month without any problems, right? Without the blink, blink of an eye. So recently, uh, so after that, after mid-June, just to give you a little bit, a bit of history, redemptions kind of posed. Um, Tether grew up uh, around $5 billion to $69 billion, while our competitor, the one that you mentioned, went down from 55 to $45 billion. Now they are sitting around $43 billion. So um, our, our current gap, uh, counts around $22 billion. Um, so the, um, the interesting fact is, as you, as you mentioned after FTX, uh, of course, the panic in the market started again. Um, you know, Tether is considered the gateway of this industry. So you can see also in the trading volumes, right? So we trade today $29 billion. So around half of our, uh, um, uh, half of our market cap. While the, our dark competitor circle is trading two billion dollars, so basically uh, quite less than their market cap. Uh, so pretty much we are trading more than fifteen times. Um, so you can see that you know the trading volume is an indication of the utility and the actual adoption in the market. And so if someone has to exit the crypto markets, of course, exit from from a tether rather than uh, our competitors, just because there is much more liquidity in the market. And so it's fine, right? So our entire job as a stable coin is, you know, to uh, to work with um, supply and demand, right? So if the market needs a stable coin, it needs uh, liquidity and wants tether, they are coming and buying tether. If they want to exit the market, our only job is to give them back the money. If they want the 100% of tether issued, we are going to give them back the, their money. And the next story that I've been hearing, which seems to be the new FUD, is the connection between FTX, Tether, and Deltek Bank. Now, I don't, I don't suppose or that I'm a expert on it at all. Can you just talk about what Deltek Bank is and what the connection there is or is not? So Deltek um, um, is one of the banks that Tether is using. It's not the only bank that Tether is using. It's uh, you know, public information, of course. Uh, we are, um, so uh, Alameda has been a customer of Tether. Both Deltek, uh, I think that um, um, it's public information. They published, Deltek published a letter in the past days. Um, they don't have any exposure to FTX or Alameda. Uh, Tether has been probably the first company that was asked if they had exposure to FTX and Alameda, and we didn't. To be clear, Alameda was one of our biggest customers, but every single transaction was transactional. Transactional. It means Alameda was buying tethers with dollars. We were delivering the tethers. That's it, right? So we have um, the backing. Uh, Alameda was using those tethers for their own reason to trade wherever uh, and so on. So it doesn't pose any threat to Tether, the fact that they were they are our biggest customer. So they're just, a, they're just a customer who was buying Tether. So there's no, exactly. right, and what they do with it after that is effectively not your business. Exactly. Uh, that makes perfect sense. How many banks does Tether work with? I mean, I think people have this perception that Deltek is the only bank and obviously that's not the case. Right now we ha have uh, four major banks. Um, and but also we have smaller banks that we use uh, for you know uh, for part custody and payments. Yeah, and so I, I think one of the maybe positive trends uh, people will argue about this that's come out of the FTX collapse and all these collapses has been proof of reserves. Right now, there's a large 
argument about what proof of reserves really means for an exchange and whether they're listing their liabilities and whether they're misleading. I mean, is that a trend that you see coming to Tether where you're going to feel more compelled to share audits or share exactly what your reserves are and where things are? Or do you think that you've done a sufficient job of that? So I think we did an efficient job of that. Uh, I think that, of course, um, transparency should always be uh, a bar that you keep setting higher in order to provide more transparency to your community. So, you know, just uh, an interesting thought, and I'm sure you, you have followed the yesterday the um, Twitter spaces from, uh, from Sam and uh, also the interview that he did on Wednesday. Um, Sam suggested that they had audits, right? And they were fully audited. They were respecting the gap audit and so on and so forth. So Tether is actually aiming to get uh, an audit. We have said several times, unfortunately, uh, timings are not the fastest. So we, we would like to be more faster than what we are actually are. So we, I said it publicly multiple times that still this is our top priority though, right? So we know that uh, we can get the audit. Unfortunately, what happened with FTX is not making things any, any easier because, of course, sure. there is more scare from auditors uh, in providing audits. But this will not stop us. We will pursue and we will continue to work towards our full audit. So that is the first statement. The second one is that the industry standard for stablecoins is attestations. So attestations are not worthless. They are already providing a good understanding of uh, our um, of our reserves uh, our plan is to uh, always go towards um, an increased number of uh, tbl holdings we proved that right so we started with basically you know almost uh, zero one year ago and one year and a half ago and now we are 82.5 percent cash and cash equivalent of course you know again we um the path is uh, and our interest is always doing better so but nevertheless we have the attestation from a top five accounting firm that is better than any one of our competitors. So everyone was making fun, and that was part of the Tether FUD in the previous months, right? And it's, it's interesting how the Tether FUD keeps shifting, you know, gears. So first was Evergrande. We, we basically wiped out the commercial papers. Look at how the FUD works, right? First, they tell you that you are not backed because you have commercial papers. And then you publish the type of commercial papers you have or the, the, the ratings, and they tell you that you have Evergrande uh, commercial papers. And then you prove that you don't have Evergrande commercial papers and you, can, you state that you can reduce commercial papers to zero. And it takes some time. So we took, we took almost one year right, to, to reduce the commercial papers to zero. Now, of course, they see that we reduce the commercial papers to zero, and now they, they change the narrative and they say, well, but, um, you know, Delta. And now we prove that we have a strong banking relationship, both with Delta that didn't have any exposure to FTX and Alameda. Of course, they were customers, but no exposure. And then yet they move the bar to something else. It's always moving the bar. Why? because they need a narrative that is deflecting from the real, prob real problems of the industry. So Tether did something that no one was thinking about, that was redeeming 10% of reserves in, ten, in, in two days, 25% of reserves in 30 days. No bank ever was able to do that. So rather than praising the stability of Tether that just doesn't have so one thing is having an attestation and audit. That is really important. No one is discussing that. Is paramount of paramount importance. But hard facts are important as well, right? We are the only company that proved that was able to achieve that. We have hard facts. We survived to so many black swan events. Where is the media talking about that, right? The media is you know, writing puff articles on on Sam, on DCG, DCG, on all these companies that failed, and yet they are still looking at Tether. So I think that the, the, the reality is just like Tether is uh, this uh, black sheep that will, will be perceived as a black sheep because like I, you know, I'm Italian probably, <laughs> and uh, I don't deserve to be uh, in the, um, you know, 
Olympus of uh, of um, of the mic people, uh, but doesn't matter, right? So our work is like uh, servicing uh, emerging markets and developing countries. Sorry for the rant, but uh, I had it. No, in, I, in my I chat. appreciate it. And, and I want to touch on something you said. You said that FTX has made it more difficult to get that immediate audit, and that that's sort of changed the timeline. Why are auditors scared now? As you're saying to audit uh tether why would the ftx situation actually make it a longer process like our so to be clear uh we have and we are confident that um, uh we will get the audit so it won't change the fact that we will get the audit and we are sure that our auditors will continue to do their work to get um to the through full audit through the full audit so it doesn't change that but keep in mind that the fact that uh uh, the uh, there are not no clear regulations. So the problem, the real problem, is that if you see the top four um, accounting firms, they are not auditing stable coins. There is no stable coin that have an audit or even an attestation for top for for um, accounting firm. The reason is that without regulations, without clear regulations from an important jurisdiction like you know U.S. or Europe, the auditors will never. Um, sign off on a piece of paper that says that you are completely fine for the simple reason that if no one tells them what rules they should abide to, you know, why they should take the risk. Right? It's an enormous reputational risk for them. And so what I'm saying is that, of course, the FTX blowing up, you know, this, this uh, extremely praised company that was supported by you know, football stars by, you know, Wall Street, everyone was supporting them. You know, they suddenly blow up. It really doesn't help, right? It doesn't help the narrative of crypto. It's not just about Tether having more difficulties. Everyone will have more difficulties. Regulators will try to bash everyone in crypto. We as Tether are fine. We will keep proving that we have all those We will keep proving that we can get, um, we are increasing our transparency and so on, right? We will keep working towards the full audit. It's fine. But what I'm saying is that things like this don't help. And the fact that the media doesn't recognize who are the bad actors all this time along doesn't help. Of course, you know, uh, if you start uh, paying big checks to the, the here and there, of course, you can see why this is happening, why media is turning their eyes somewhere else. But, you know, um, it, it's stressful from a certain point of view, but uh, it will make the industry uh, stronger uh, in the long run. Yeah, you said that 82.5% is covered by commercial paper, based, uh, not commercial paper, excuse no, me, by uh, short-term treasuries, <laughs> cash and cash and cash equivalents, which theoretically means that if people redeemed 82.5% today, you would be able to redeem that. What is yeah. the other... 17 and a half percent and is the goal to eventually move all of that to cash equivalents so it's uh secure loans by um extreme over collateralized assets widely over collateralized we are talking about uh, more than 150 percent to 200 percent collateralization by extremely liquid assets so we uh also um we if you go on the um public attestation there is uh, some um, precious metals but that's definitely the goal is to uh, keep increasing that percentage. So we, we started from zero one year ago, basically. Well, not zero. Um, uh, I stand, uh, I should correct myself. So we started from a lower number. Of course, in TBLs, uh, we had just commercial papers. And we kept increasing um, that uh, the number to 2.5%. So, uh, you know, we feel confident that um, if we have to um, pay back everything, we will be able to pay back everything in a short amount of time, no matter what, yeah. even with our we, current situation. I, I know we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to just shift gears a bit. Obviously, I think that one of the more positive silver lining narratives that we've had is that somewhat uh, crypto native services have survived and it's really been the centralized, you know, uh, platforms and stuff that have failed due to human error. Do you think that with the central bank digital currency coming, which we, I think all know is going to, and more demand from regulators that that could be a threat to tether, or do you think that it would be literally the opposite, much like we've seen some moves to DeFi and to self custody that people would go to something more crypto native because they lack trust in the more centralized platforms? 
So that's a good question, right? So we should separate between um, stable coins and uh, I think general crypto. So stable coins, I think that, uh, I'm not sure if you agree with me, but uh, you know, we should get over a little bit the concept of um, uh, decentralized stable coins. So everyone that tried to create a big decentralized stable coin kind of failed. And the biggest current decentralized stable coin is going TBLs as well. So, you know, <laughs> that's kind of interesting, right? So uh, everyone at, uh, until the beginning of this year was like uh, crying, like, uh, you know, uh, about the decentralization of better and, uh, you know, the, the uh, top competitors. But suddenly, you know, either they blew up, the decentralized um, stable coins blew up or they are actually following our steps and going TBLs. So this is extremely interesting. But so my point being that stable coins and centralized stable coins are there to stay. Because there is only, if you want to have a connection with traditional finance, stable coins are basically the way. So uh, of course, it's all nice and easy when you are dealing with only crypto. But the reality is that stable coins are, you know, the gateway to crypto also in DeFi. So, you know, uh, it won't change anytime soon. I think regulations will start cracking down on, and on uh, personally, from what I'm seeing, I don't want to fight. I don't want to create any uncertainty. Just from what I see, there is some concerns about, uh, you know, this entire discussion about uh, many tokens being considered and potentially being considered securities that will bring a ton of regulation uh, potentially. So um, I think DeFi might not be um, exempt from uh, requirements that centralized exchanges and counterparties might have, right? So point being is that DeFi lending platforms, I know that some DeFi lending platforms are already looking into um, adding KYC and whitelisting in order to be prepared for that uh, occurrence. Because, uh, you know, anti-money laundering rules and so on might be applied also to DeFi. So I think that regulations will completely change the shape of our industry. Interesting enough, though, the common denominator between all the regulators is that Bitcoin is considered in a different category where Bitcoin is basically simple as money rather than being a financial instrument and, and, and product. So... That's, I think, the biggest achievement. So my feeling is that Bitcoin is a category by itself. The rest is we have to watch it closely. Stable coins are here to stay and will be probably even more regulated in the future as the entire crypto industry. Good. There you go. Thank you so much, Paolo. I know that we're up to your time here and I really appreciate you even while traveling which I know you don't often uh, do out of Europe, you said. So uh, inter <laughs> interesting yeah. that you're getting around the world at the moment. And I was going to ask you about your time in El Salvador, but we'll save that for the next one, if, if that's okay. Happy to jump again on your show. Thank you again. Awesome. Everybody, please go uh, follow Paolo. We really do appreciate it. I know that uh, you spend, it seems like, a big portion of your life when you probably want to be building and doing work, uh, answering questions. Uh, from the community and, and dis and sort of uh, disabusing the FUD. And we appreciate that you constantly show up and, and are willing to do it. Thanks, Scott. I, I really definitely prefer coding, but uh, I also <laughs> like defending my companies. We'll take it, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you guys. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, in the comments, I see you, a lot of you contributing and, and asking questions. I want to be clear. I know that... Um, the environment in crypto right now is extremely contentious and everyone expects every podcast host, live stream host, Twitter spaces host to be an amateur lawyer uh, pressing a witness in the Supreme Court, but that's not what we're doing here. These are our guests. We want to talk about the topics, but uh, this is not the same as a Twitter spaces with SBF where you want to get down to the nitty gritty and details of a clear crime that was committed, right? That That's not what we're doing here. And I understand that that's the impression that we all get now from every single guest, but it is not my job to uh, accuse people of things when there's no evidence to accuse them of anything. The fact is, as Paolo said, right now, what you have is a company that has weathered all of the FUD thus far. I think we all remain skeptical of every platform in crypto and you should do so and make your decisions accordingly. 
But uh, if we take them at their word, they're well on their way to an audit. And we do know that Tether is a fundamental and massive part of the crypto space. Uh, Nuara said, well said, Scott, that space was embarrassing. I'm going to be honest. I was in there for about 15 minutes. Uh, I almost puked in my own mouth and then I exited. We talked about that at the beginning. I'm going to get that to that at the end of the news. We'll talk about uh, SBF here at the end. But let's dig in right now to the weekly news and review. We're going to cook through it. Actually, today, right after this, I have uh, the honor of interviewing Plan B again, which was one of my most uh, popular podcasts of all time. I'm psyched to have him back. So that'll be coming out soon. But here we go. U.S. adds 263,000 jobs in November as labor market stays hot despite Fed hikes. Jerome Powell is so pissed right now. Too many people have jobs and they pay good money. It's terrible. Got to get rid of those jobs, make people homeless and poor so that we can pivot. We're still in a world where bad news equals good news. And if you want your stocks and assets to rise, you need to unfortunately, apparently hope that people lose their jobs and that we see signs of a weakening economy. The expectation was 200,000 263,000 actually smashes that expectation. Major, major, major print to the upside. Bad for markets, apparently. I haven't even looked, but I'm going to imagine that the SPY right here, yeah, down. I mean, it closed yesterday around 407, opened today at 402 as a result of that news. 3%, uh, 3.7% unemployment, that number remained unchanged. And there was even a slight increase in wages, in wages. So now we have to cheer for our friends, family, and countrymen to lose their jobs so that our precious stonks can rise. Cracking cuts 30% of workforce amid crypto winter. Remember, this is a week in review. Some of this we may have mentioned or discussed briefly before. But yes, the crypto exchange is laying off 1,100 people after saying it was in hiring mode earlier this year. Here's the quote. Since the start of this year, macroeconomic and geopolitical factors have weighed on financial markets. This resulted in significantly lower trading volumes and fewer client signups, Kraken said in a blog post. I do not personally believe that a company taking necessary and appropriate precautions to make sure that they continue to exist into the future by cutting costs is necessarily a sign that there's anything wrong with that company. It's probably a good decision. And Kraken, not the most popular exchange in the world. If they scaled and the market changed, then obviously they need to scale back to their previous levels. And this is not just something that's happening in crypto. It's not just something that's happening at Kraken. 2022 major layoffs grow. Here we go. This is a Forbes list that they've had a running list of people doing layoffs. Gannett, of course, that's USA Today, Detroit Free Press, layoffs. CNN, layoffs. H&M, layoffs. That just gets us to crack in there. Layoffs. DoorDash, AMC, HP, Carvana, Neuro, Roku, Cisco, Amazon, Asana, Disney, Jewel, Barclays, Redfin, Meta. That only gets us back to November 9th. Salesforce, Zendesk, Chime, Lyft, Stripe, Twitter, Opendoor, Upstart. That's November. That's November. That's who's laid off people just in the last month or so. Absolutely incredible, but that's what happens in bear markets. That's what happens when people scale up and hire and there's bloat and markets are going up. And that's largely what happened to a lot of crypto platforms in the past. Not that they had to end up firing people, but they collapsed for a similar reason. I've talked about this before. I can speak most probably informedly, is that a word, on Voyager, Right? We all remember when Dogecoin went absolutely nuts, that was really, even though it was a bull market, it was really about Dogecoin, retail flocked into crypto exchanges looking for a place to trade Doge. Voyager was one of the huge benefactors of that. So they got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of new customers in a matter of a week or two, had difficulty scaling up, had to hire tons of people just to be able to onboard all those people and service them. And then those people were getting yield on their coins. And then what do you do when that yield starts to disappear and those customers no longer want to trade Doge? Well, that's when shit goes bad for your company. Then you start to do risky things like give 
nearly $700 million uncollateralized loans to amateur 30-year-old philosophers who can't afford to buy the yacht that they put a down payment on. I'm not talking about 3AC. Yes, I am. Fuck those guys. Yeah. So uh, this is not just a crypto thing. We are seeing firings down the line because we are in a bear market entering into a recession. This is a crazy story. Coinbase disables mobile NFT transfers, citing Apple's app store policies. If you do not read my newsletter, then honestly leave. No, I'm just kidding. Don't leave. I, I need you. It's not that many of you. We need you all. But you should read my free newsletter. As you can see right down, it's in the daily description. Yeah, you can just subscribe to my newsletter. It's completely free. This is what I wrote about in the introduction. Right, we've seen a long history of Apple's predatory ways in the App Store. This is not the first time. Obviously, Epic Games and Coinbase in the past. Elon Musk has been very critical of late of the fact that if you want to be listed in the App Store, thirty percent of the revenue goes directly into Apple's pockets. Right, I think most famously, Fortnite was removed from the Apple Store because they said "f you," we're not doing it. Right, there have been companies that have pushed back in the past. Coinbase, when they had their Coinbase Earn product, which was not a yield-bearing product. Coinbase obviously had the product where if you did educational lessons, you would earn small amounts of crypto. Well, App Store didn't like that users were getting paid free crypto for learning things. So they pushed back and made it an endless maze and almost impossible for anyone using Apple or the App Store to be able to access Coinbase Earn. Well, now Coinbase trying to just allow you to send your NFTs back and forth. Well, Apple wants 30% of the gas fees. First of all, the gas fees are not earned by Coinbase. It's the gas fee to use the network. It's a toll, right? So that doesn't make any sense. And you know what makes even less sense? You know what makes even less sense? There's no way on Apple to accept crypto payments. Here you go. For anyone who understands how NFTs and blockchain work, This is clearly not possible, Coinbase said. Apple's proprietary in-app purchase system does not support crypto, so we couldn't comply even if we tried. So for now, we have a dangerous precedent being set that anything crypto native, even with gas and transaction fees, Apple's going to get there 30%. Apple wants the whole piece of the Apple pie. And listen, Elon Musk had a lot of criticisms of Apple about that 30%. Other things, but... Yeah, that's, he's over it now because he, he went on vacation. Elon Musk went to visit Tim Cook, took a really nice picture of the pond and said, we're good, bro. It was a misunderstanding. Musk chafed at Apple's App Store policies earlier in the week, but not so much anymore. Took a quick trip uh, to Epstein Island. I mean, to... Um, to a quick uh, trip up to the Apple campus, met with Tim Cook, and apparently we're all good. 30% is fine. So yeah, 30% says Victoria K. Yeah, Lon was tweeting about it. Yeah, he's tweeting about it, but now he is cool with it. Cool with it. NFT investor Animoca Brands to start $2 billion metaverse fund report. The company will unveil the fund called Animoca Capital with plans to make its first investment next year. Now, this is not their first multi-billion dollar rodeo. Animoca is the biggest player in the NFT space and in the metaverse space. It's very interesting that they think that even in this environment right now, they can raise $2 billion more dollars to invest in the metaverse. That is a lot. They said it will be focused on everything on digital property rights. So that piece of land that you paid $2 million for that's worth $23, at least somebody be able to prove that it is yours. But let's look. I mean, if you guys are curious about Animoca Brands, this is their blockchain projects. I'm just going to kind of quickly scroll. Obviously, the most famous is the Sandbox. But these dudes are, I mean, they, they own everything out here. I mean, this isn't even, this is a very fractional small list of what they got, but holy man, this is a huge thing. But I love to see the fact that there's still $2 billion willing to plow into this. Uh, BlockFi went bankrupt. That's probably the biggest news of the week. Although I think everybody uh, knew that was coming, right? BlockFi, but they have $355 million in crypto frozen on FTX. Their attorney confirmed in the first bankruptcy hearing uh, and that's uh, on top of the other $671 million in loan to FTX, sister company Alameda Research. Alameda has defaulted on the loan as well. So, uh, listen, I, ha- I honestly, like, it, it gives me a near aneurysm every time I try to dig into any of these things. I'm personally triggered by what 
my my own situation with Voyager. And frankly, I just want to puke when I think about any of this. But the incestuous relationship that was happening here between BlockFi, FTX, and Alameda is really hard for me to reconcile. I'm not trying to FUD. I'm not trying to uh, give my own necessarily opinion. It's just very clear that something strange was going on here, right? I mean, as you can see, BlockFi had million, hundreds of millions in funds on FTX, but BlockFi was going to go out of business and received a credit facility from FTX for $400 million, but then a huge part of this is a $671 million loan from BlockFi, which is how they earned their yield probably, to Alameda, right? Doesn't it seem like uh, FTX could have just cut BlockFi out of that and just kept giving loans to... Uh, how do you borrow four hundred? to give the dude's cousin 671. Can anyone make sense of that to me? I, I just don't get it. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm dumb. I am an American. They think we're dumb. Look, I got my USA jersey played in the Netherlands tomorrow. I'll be golfing during that game. Maybe I'll wear the jersey while I golf and try to get it on a screen. Yeah, listen, it's very sad that BlockFi went out of business. We have another 100, 200,000 haven't confirmed the number yet, of creditors now who have a horrible taste in their mouth and have lost all the money that they had sitting on one of these platforms. And I hope that's the end of it, man. I hope that is the end of it. Miguel Hernandez says the cousin pays more. That's probably true. So next story. Well, BlockFi's rise and fall of timeline. In case you just wanted to track it, there's this article on Coindesk. You guys can go look it up. But it offers the full timeline of how this happens. Uh, all of the money that they raised, all of the problems that they had, the $100 million fine that they got from the SEC after being fined or blocked by a number of state regulators. I think the most hilarious part, if there is a silver lining, is that they still owe the SEC $30 million, and that is now in the bankruptcy proceedings. And now, listen, I mean, that's the core of the big news from this week, I would say. We got this opinion piece on Coinbase, and we can talk about it. I, I would actually love your guys' feedback. I'm going to be the first to say, yeah, I didn't listen to the spaces. I listened to some of it. I started. Mario was asking some reasonable questions. SBF was doing his normal tap dance around the issues. Then Kim.com interrupted with some very valid questions. Mario got pissed that Kim.com interrupted. Then some dude named Chet dove in and like literally just went as if he was had watched too many episodes of Law and Order and started getting super emotional. And listen, man, I guess I could say like I'm a professional interviewer at this point, but like it's not easy to interview someone who's on the spot who you believe has committed a crime. That's different than just having a conversation. I love having conversations with people in this industry generally about positive things. We focus on so much negative. The last few weeks have been so trying, I think, for all of us because you can't live a normal, happy life when all you're doing is focusing on the negativity of your work life or of this asset that you're so passionate about. But it is very hard, to be fair, to just sit down. Like, What did people expect any journalist to get out of SBF? Like, What do you expect? Do you think that SBF is just going to come out and like tell the whole truth all of a sudden when he's been lying to everyone this entire time? He's talking his book. He's saying what he thinks he needs to say to win the favor of the community. And we're giving them the opportunity to do so. And listen, anyone would take that interview. I totally get it. But yeah, we criticized the puff pieces from the New York Times WAPO. Those are absolutely ridiculous. I actually thought that uh, the Good Morning America interview uh, Stephanopoulos, and that Sorkin from New York Times, I thought they asked the hard questions. The problem is that SBF didn't answer them. And if we believe that he was going to then show up on fucking Twitter spaces and start just incriminating himself and giving more information, no. But the proper approach, I will just say in the future, not with SBF specifically or any of those, got to just have a conversation with people, man. Nobody's going to open up if they don't feel comfortable. They're not going to open up if they feel like they're being accused or it's confrontational or you're yelling at them. You can't get emotional in this job. You know, and even if you are emotional, like hide it, man, or be emotional in an appropriate way that shows the person that you're actually listening to what they're saying and that you disagree and want to have a friendly conversation about it. 
I don't think you can jump down someone's throat, start screaming at them, and then get mad when they don't uh, incriminate themselves of crimes that will put them in jail for the rest of their lives. So I think at this point, I'm, I would take a Sam interview and I would talk to him, of course. Of course. Did in the past. I would now. But I don't think anyone should expect to get a different narrative moving forward. We're all Everyone's going to ask him the same questions. Everybody is going to get the same answers and then everybody else is going to jump in and criticize whoever did the interview afterwards, right? I saw you guys even being critical of me when I was talking to Paolo. Paolo, I'm not going to ask him a question where he's going to tell you something nefarious that you believe is happening with Tether or that is going to get him to tell me the exact date of their audit. Like, what do you guys want? I'm not telling you like specifically, I'm just saying, I believe that when I talk to someone, I ask them appropriate questions. We get the answers that they're willing to give and we move on with our lives. Yeah. And KO says, influencers are sucking off SBF for an interview, but that's what it does because it's about engagement. And what happened, this is not like, I'm, I'm not faulting Mario or, or any of them. Like I said, I didn't really listen to it. But if you want to get answers out of, someone you have to have a one-on-one comfortable interview where you have an actual conversation you can't have eight nine ten people on stage screaming at each other and screaming at him because they want the spotlight and they're concerned about how many twitter followers they'll get out of being up on stage you know yeah as he says this is not the jerry springer show and i think that's kind of what it is robert s says don't call yourself a journalist if you're not willing to ask tough questions i don't know if that's specific to me or to anyone else, but uh, I don't call myself a journalist. I've, I've never even thought to call myself a journalist. Podcaster, is that a journalist? I don't know. But I was just a dude who has conversations about things that are happening in crypto, and it's awesome. Yeah. Um, the information at the end of the spaces from the company Alameda Bankruptcy was the most interesting part. Shocking, too, said Koala Man. I actually missed that. I, I didn't see it. But listen, there's... There's no question that SPF committed fraud. Like, how many ways are you going to ask the question, did you commingle funds? What the? F- $8 billion to $10 billion literally disappeared that were customer funds. Like, we don't need someone to admit something when all of the evidence is there. And it doesn't matter what he says. We have the actual fact that customer funds are gone. And what we now have devolved into is parsing every single word that SBF has to say and criticizing every person who asked the questions because we're not getting the answers we want. The answers are there. The money's gone. The company's in bankruptcy. You don't need to listen to the words. You can just follow the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Black Diamond off the grid. The only person did well interview with SBF is Tiffany Fong. Yeah, we had her here yesterday. She did. She did a very, very good job. A lot of people saying Rand had the best questioning and follow-ups. That's because Rand has been doing this job for decades, right? He's been talking to people, talking about crypto. And, you know, I think as Rand sort of alluded to, people were like, you were being easy to him and being nice. Well, the way you attract flies is with honey. Be nice to somebody. If you, if you show up and you're just an absolute dick, nobody's going to answer your questions. Miguel Hernandez says, do like Shaggy and say it wasn't you. I literally made that uh, reference to something about crypto yesterday to Emmy, to my wife. I was like, hey, she's just pulling a Shaggy saying it wasn't me. So you're banging on the sofa. It wasn't me. Yeah. Picture this. My mom's naked, banging on the bathroom. Yeah, we all know. Yeah. SBF got offended when Kim asked him about throwing his girlfriend under the bus. Yeah, I mean... That's the thing is like, I think we're at a place now where everybody wants to like be the one to throw the big zinger, to break the big news, to be the one who asked that question. But like, did you really think that Sam was going to be like, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's Caroline's fault and she's my girlfriend, but she did it. I don't know, man. (sighs) Uh, That's all I got. That's all I got. So guys, Monday... We were supposed to do it last Monday, but we have it confirmed next Monday. Macro Alf, one of the rising stars of Twitter, talking about macro. I'm really trying, and it's very hard because, first of all, I disappeared and went on vacation. 
for the entire week of really when the FTX thing was brewing and when Twitter spaces were getting 30,000 followers. If it shows you my uh, disconcern about my level of engagement, if I was smart and I cared about being the voice, I would have showed up probably and continued to do uh, massive clickbait headlines, bring on every conspiracy theorist. Uh, but, uh, you know, I like my sanity. So I just went on vacation and, and didn't capitalize on that. And I think that now I'm really trying to focus. It's just very hard because this is the news, but I would really like to shift gears back to more positive things because none of this has anything to do with crypto or with Bitcoin or with Ethereum or the use cases or blockchain technology. It has to do with a fraudster who committed fraud, right? It happened to be a crypto exchange, but Bernie Madoff didn't need a crypto exchange. Enron didn't need a crypto exchange. This is a tale as old as time of human greed and hubris. Right. So I would like, although I don't think anyone will watch, but I would like to start talking about positive things. Headline. Bitcoin saves baby unicorns in the metaverse. That's going to be Monday. But no, we got macro alf on Monday. I think it's going to be great. And I would really like to start to bring some positivity back to this space because it's deserved. It really is. It really is. Uh, there's a lot of great things still happening in the crypto space, and it's time for us to start talking about them. Christopher Walker says, more about the Oven Mitt Monday, Scott. Oven Mitt Monday. I bought this at Epcot Center. Saw it there. It was so cool. So we did that. And of course, my other toy on my desk is the liquidator. The Sam Bankman Freed liquidator. Anyways, that is all I have for you. Good weekend. Enjoy watching the World Cup. Can the United States beat the Netherlands? Could it happen? It could happen. It could happen. Go to a draw and penalty kicks to get it over with. Uh, Armando asking when Discord. Good question. I'll give you an update that I'm not supposed to give. So I built an entire Discord. Paid all the money for it. Started to hire people. And then uh, the ship went down, man. Like, I, you know, as I've said, I have no qualms about telling you guys I'm effectively running a uh, no-income business, you know, at my own expense. Launching a Discord just to do it for the community, which I would love to, is at my own expense, right? Costs tens of thousands of dollars to properly launch a Discord on a monthly basis. But I do still want to do it. Uh, and so I'm talking with uh, some platforms in a way to partner it and make it something extremely uh, unique and valuable and not just a place for people to fucking argue and spew conspiracy theories. So it will happen. No, it's not. He says you'll donate. So I don't want your guys' money. That's not what, that's not what I want. Uh, that's not the point, right? Um, I want a place where we can have constructive and positive conversation and where I can continue these conversations. We could talk about the streams. We could talk about the podcast. And more importantly, the way I want to do it is where I provide agnostic, unbiased, non-human, up-to-date market data for you guys. Like, you know, really be up-to-date on the news when it's dropping, charts, data, all those things. And so uh, talking to some platforms about doing that if you alienate your guests they won't come back on yeah funny how that works right so yes we will uh, i want to see the chart section there there would obviously be a chart section but like there's the 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 return on investment the roi risk reward of being a person in this space and sharing charts it right now is extremely low extremely low extremely low anyways that's what i uh can you get sailor back for an interview uh, i've asked and he didn't respond so i will ask again Love to have Sailor again. Also, I guess curious. Uh, would you prefer a Discord or a Telegram? I think Discord's better. Yeah. You guys can tell me in the comments another time. Guys, that is all I got for you. I am out of here. That's dope.